You must be born again. That's another way to summarise the message that we just heard. You must be born again by the Spirit of God and then if you are born again by the Spirit of God, remain in step with that same Spirit who made you alive. I'll show you where it says that. It's in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Live there, not meaning since we live our lives, go about our lives. It's not talking about the manner that we live. It's saying since we are made alive by the Spirit, since we have been born again by the Spirit, let us keep in step with that same Spirit. You must be born again. And if you are born again, keep in step with that Spirit. I want to say two things before we look a bit more closely into the passage and walk through it and some of the necessary things that need to be said. But before I do, I just want to get our focus right. I want to flag something and get our focus right. Here's the first thing I want to flag. One of the questions that we really should be asking this morning is, how do I keep in step with the Spirit? We're told right at the beginning, this is what Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit. That, that I think would be more helpfully if your translation says, walk by the Spirit, because there the word live means conduct your life, carry out your life, walk, conduct, go about your life by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So we should be asking, and you should be asking, that's a real promise. How do I do that? Because he says the same thing at the bottom. So our whole text here this morning is shaped by that. That's what he says in verse 25, which I've just recounted. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to try to answer that. I'm going to do it at the end. So hold on to that. We're getting there. And that's going to be good. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I don't want you to look at this text this morning and see that list of negative results of the flesh and beautiful, positive fruit of the Spirit and walk away and think, oh man, I really need to avoid a whole bunch of those things from the works of the flesh and I really need to get myself sorted on upping my fruit of the spirit game because one I'd really like that that sounds good and two if I if I get too many of those works of the flesh things on my sort of scorecard I might end up not inheriting the kingdom right so if you've already thought that if you've already read uh, sorry heard this text read and gone Oh, gosh. Okay. What was the message from this morning? I need to sort my life out. Maybe you do need to sort your life out. But the right way. 
Okay? I don't want you to focus there. Don't do that. Don't go there now. That's, that won't be the Christian way to read this passage, this part of scripture, and it won't be the Christian way to live. What I want you to focus on, it takes a bit of work. <laughs> it's taking me work this week. Get your minds over to two things. Spirit or sinful nature. Maybe in your Bible, in front of you, it says flesh. So I'm going to say flesh. Spirit or flesh. That's where I want you to get your head. So get your head over going, I've got two ways to live. And I'm thinking, is it spirit-led, spirit-powered, spirit-guided life? Or is it flesh-led, flesh-guided life? Those two things produce, those two powers produce what we've got in our text. Those negative things, the works of the flesh, and those wonderful fruits of the Spirit. But get your focus on the Spirit and the flesh. If you can do that, that's brilliant. Why has Paul gone there? So now let's get into the text. Paul has just said in last in the t- portion we looked at last week that salvation is by faith alone you can't add another little bit to it if you do it doesn't work adding the tiniest little bit of works based religion produces is like yeast that infects the whole dough and ruins the whole lot salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone he's sufficient And faith in him is sufficient for your salvation. That's how you secure forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and the guaranteed inheritance that's yours. You become a son, a child of God, an heir, and a rightful inheritor of the new creation if you are in Jesus by faith. That's yours. Nothing to add to that. Then... There's a, there's a sort of lingering question, which is, <clears throat> the Galatians think, yep, yeah, we still want to know how to live. We still want to live out this life. And Paul says, now here's the thing about faith. Faith is alive. Faith is not just a thing that you do. Faith is more like an energy. <clears throat> and faith acts. And it acts through love. So that's why he says the only thing that counts is faith. Working through love. Because faith is alive and faith does stuff. So if you've got faith, if you've actually got faith in your life, then it's alive and it's doing things. It's a living tree and it produces actual fruit. And he's going to say today, it's a spirit-powered tree that produces fruit. So that's where we're going. And Paul says, now, okay, let's think about how to live. And what he does straight away is he goes, whoop, let's grab your thoughts and say, think about spirit and flesh. That's what you need to think about. And that's what he's done this morning. Because it's like me and Lewis Hamilton. Why? Because I am like the flesh in this analogy. And Lewis Hamilton is like the spirit. You can put us both in the car one at a time. You put me in the car. And what's going to happen when I go around the track in that car? Right? It's highly likely 
probably going to crash the car. It's got too much power for me. You take the corner, woof, off I go. Put Lewis Hamilton in the car, it's going to roar around that track, right? What's the difference? It's not the car and it's not the track. It's the one driving the car. It's the one in control. It's the power that is animating the car and moving it through the track. The flesh, so here what you have is you have yourself, you have your I, your you, you're the acting subject, to be technical, and you have the flesh, and you have the spirit. You're naturally connected to the flesh. That's how you're born, you're born into that way. The spirit makes you alive. Now you've got the action of the spirit in your life. So the I, which is you, can either yield to and be driven by the flesh, the flesh can drive the car, or it can be dri- you can yield to and be driven by the spirit, the spirit drives the car. Paul needs to get down to this level with the Galatians, and God needs to get down to this level with us, because this is what our fundamental problem is. The fundamental problem of humans, hence why salvation needs to happen the way that it does in, by faith alone in Christ alone and not via the law, is because our fundamental problem is we are flesh. We are sinful nature, born that way. You are by default a bad driver. <laughs> and some by practice. <laughs> Jokes. Right? That's what we are. So Paul needs to say, you've got to get back to that level. And the change that happens in you when you're connected to Christ is at that level. It's a change at the level of nature. And what, oh, I've got my illustration over there. And what we have in these first couple of verses is Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, Look what he says in verse 16. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the the desires of the sinful nature, because the, the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with one another so that you do not do what you want. It's like the light switch. The light switch, if you push it down here, it's up there. If you push it down here, if you switch it the other way, it's up there. It's never both on and off at the same time. That's what Paul's saying about the spirit and the flesh. The spirit and the flesh are two completely opposite things. So if you're led by the spirit, you won't be doing the deeds of the flesh because they're completely opposite to one another. If you're living by the flesh, you won't be doing the stuff of the spirit because they're completely opposite to one another. One says I, the other says you. One says, my will. One says, your will. They're totally opposite. So what Paul wants to do is he wants to say, think about the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, and by default, you won't be living out the flesh. The flesh, the Spirit, and you, yielded to one or the other. Now the thing is about the world... It's doomed to failure. And this is why the world is doomed to failure, isn't it? Because the world is, uh, only has the flesh. 
Now, if you only have the flesh and you don't have the gospel, isn't it natural that we'd end up with this collection of behavior? Let's think about it. If there is no future glory and everything is only in this present world, then we need to fight and scramble to get all we can now, right? If this is it, then yeah, it seems really natural to make them make the most of it, live for now. But that means that we're all in competition with one another because you're taking stuff that could be mine. If our value system is not based on the love of God for us and the fact that he has justified us, then yeah, I need to get my value and my worth from how other people, from somewhere else. And naturally, it's going to come from how other people view me, whether I'm justified in their sight. Therefore, I'm going to end up being envious of those who get more love. Because there's no love of God to comfort you. There's no justification that comes from God. Therefore, you've got to vindicate yourself, which means you have to squabble with people and make sure that you are justified. So jealousy comes in. Pleasure comes in because we want to get maxed out pleasure now. Stress comes in because there's no patience because time is ticking. Anger comes in. Why? Because everything's frustrating my present plans. There is no future when all things are fixed. Factions come into play because glory is, because glory is at work. We need to get glory. We need to break off into groups. It's only through the Spirit of God and through the Gospel that these things can be disarmed. The world is doomed to failure and it's no surprise that it is the way that it is. That's the first thing. Second thing is, let's talk just a little bit about this ongoing conflict before we get into what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. So let's think about one wrong way to read the Scriptures as a whole and these verses. And that wrong way is to say that because the flesh is being crucified, that the battle is over. Or to say that we are able to complete the battle in this life. That we're able to be perfected that the battle ought not to exist, that we can get to that point where we are no longer fighting the flesh. To say, we only live by the Spirit now, this talk of the flesh being at work is wrong. This is the first way to sort of fall off the horse, as it were. That is to take what has happened we have been crucified, and to bring the future too far forward and not to recognize that there is still something to be done. You could put it another way. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We have been crucified with Christ. We need to daily crucify the flesh, and we will be glorified. Now, why do I say that? Well, the first thing is that perfection is not assumed to be correct in chapter 6, verse 1. 
Brothers, he says there, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. See that? Paul just off the cuff there just says, if someone's caught in a sin, restore him gently. He's just assuming that's going to happen. Someone's just going to be in a sin. He's going to still be a brother. You need to restore him. So sinning, therefore, this is not a sort of, hey, if I don't meet this, if I don't have the fruit of the Spirit only, perfectly, then I must not be part of the team. No, Paul says straight away in chapter 6 that actually there are some people who sin and you can restore them. So perfectionism is is not assumed. Second is, there's an assumption that the sinful nature or the flesh carries on in these very verses. The implication is that you have to yield to one of the two. So the presence of the flesh is still there. He has to say, live by the Spirit so that you don't give in to the flesh. Now, if there was, if the flesh was completely crucified so that there was no flesh, and that was like not a thing, then the whole argument falls apart. There's no point in even saying it. The assumption is the flesh is still there, and you've got to, the you, the acting subject, has to yield to the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that your passions are at war within you. He's talking to Christians. And the last one I'll say here about this is that in Colossians 3, which is one of those books which wonderfully tells us about how full and how complete the salvation we have in Christ is, has got those wonderful phrases, you have died with Christ. It says you have been filled. You have been filled. And that's true. And then what does he say straight after that in Colossians chapter 3? Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Well, hold on a second. Have I died or do I need to put to death? Paul said, yes, you have died. You need to put to death and you will be glorified. It's the same thing in Ephesians. Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. You say, wow, okay. (laughs) So set your mind on things above, Paul says. So that when Christ appears, who is this is Colossians now, mix and matching, so that when Christ appears and comes back, then you will be glorified with him. Well, I thought I was already up there. Well, you are. And you're going there. You see that? The danger is that we take one chunk of the scriptures, we say, have died, and we make that the whole picture. Now, what does this lead to? Well... If you assume perfectionism, that perfectionism is just a way to sort of capture that idea that we can be perfected now and the flesh can not be an issue. Firstly, it's just wrong. Secondly, it leads to a great self-misunderstanding. And it can just be embarrassingly so. I remember having a conversation with somebody a number of years ago, having a few conversations with this person, And their assumption was that we could be perfected in this life. Their assumption was that we shouldn't talk about the need for the ongoing fight in the Christian life. And after a whole number of conversations, part of the great sadness was how tragically unaware this person was of their own life. That they could think that they, that this person, they're not even close to perfected. Why are they assuming that, that they are and that they're going to be? 
And so those close to a person who believes such a teaching can clearly and easily see, well, you're not perfected. And so long as I live with you, this perfection of the spirit in your life doesn't seem to be true. And actually what it's doing is it's producing self-delusion because you're having to minimize your own sinfulness to prop up your belief that you can completely rid yourself of the flesh and of any sinful behavior before you're glorified. So we mustn't fall into that. The battle continues. But you fall off the horse on the other side. Fall off the horse on the other side is to think that there's an equal battle between the two, between the flesh and the spirit, and to end up in a sort of defeatist mentality. And that's wrong as well. There's an asymmetry, which just means it's not the same on both sides. And the emphasis, I'm going to say, is strongly on the spirit. Much change and much growth can happen and should happen in the Christian life. We should be producing fruit. Why is that the case? Well, again, it's assumed in verse 16. Live by the Spirit. Here you go. You can do it. You can yield yourself to the Spirit and live according to the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit happening in your life. Also because of what we've already said in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. The flesh has been crucified. That's it. You have died. Some decisive work of God has happened in your life. John 15, Jesus says, whoever abides in me bears much fruit. That's it. If you're not abiding in me and you're not bearing fruit, he says those branches are cut off and thrown out to be burned. The assumption is, if you're in Jesus, you are bearing fruit. And so verses like this come along, and what they do is they act as a diagnostic tool. And we need to be serious about this now with ourselves. Not because I think so, because it's right there in front of us. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The assumption is that if this fruit of the Spirit is not evident in your life, and all that is evident in your life is the fruit of the flesh, you are not born again. And I go back to the beginning. You must be born again. If there is no fruit, there's a, there's a live question. Are you actually born again? If you do not love Jesus, if you do not love his people, if you do not hate sin, are you born again? If you have no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no gentleness, no faithfulness, no self-control, are you born again? Let's not kid ourselves. Coming here is not saving you. You must be born again. And the Spirit will change your life. 
That's not an isolated warning. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. And he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy... nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, But among you there must not be, must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or any of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Hopefully, I'm not deceiving you. I'm telling you the truth. Or from Jesus' own lips. Jesus says in John chapter 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Everybody's born into Adam. Everybody's born into flesh. You must be born again by the spirit of God. You are born again by casting yourself on the mercy of God given to you freely in Christ and grabbing hold of him, turning from your sin and saying, I repent, I have sinned, I feel my conviction, I have broken your law, I have lived as a rebel in your world, I've not acknowledged you and honoured you and thanked you and lived for you as I ought to have lived. You've given me life, I've lived for myself. You're the master and the creator of all. I've decided to be the master and the creator of all. Woe is me! Who will save me? And you reach out and grab hold of the lifeline of Jesus Christ alone to save you in the sea of your sin and death. You grab hold of him by faith and God says, mine. You're as mine as my son is mine. All your sins forgiven, completely washed. And the, ho- and the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to you and boom, you're born again. New desires, spirit desires, new sight. Wow, Jesus is amazing now. New purpose in life. I'm living for God and his kingdom, not for self. New goals, glory and heaven. Something has happened to me. My appetite has changed. Has your appetite changed? Have your loves changed? You must be born again. And if you are born again, as we take our final turn, then keep in step with that same spirit by whom you were born again. That's what Paul wants to say to us, God wants to say to us. So here here we go. 
How do we do that? How, how do we now keep in step with that same spirit by whom we were made alive? I think it's a collection of things. I think that's why it's not easy to define. Does it have a sort of mystical, subjective component? I would say yes and no. What I mean by that is conviction is something that's very difficult to describe except subjectively and experientially and emotionally. What is conviction? How do you feel convicted? How do you feel guilty? How do you feel that you are a sinner under the law? There is a subjective component. How do you feel that sting, that prod of the Holy Spirit's work saying, don't engage in that sin. Don't look that way. Don't be greedy and hold on to your belongings in the way that you are. Don't bite back and say that answer that you really want to say. How do you describe that except in a subjective way? How do you describe that peace that the Holy Spirit brings? That walking in knowing, you know, this is the right way. Yeah, I can see how it might not seem like everybody else would think that this is the right way to walk in not sort of defending myself publicly in front of that person. But actually, that's the Spirit's way. And I'm at peace with that. And I feel okay with that. And I trust the Lord for that. And everything's going to work out. That's subjective. Is there a subjective component to keeping a step with the Spirit? Yes. Is it completely subjective? No. I don't think that that is entirely how it works. There's some subjective component. There's objective component. What I mean by that is there is the Word of God outside of us. The Spirit-written Word of God. Which also comes to us and we may not feel directly that we shouldn't be doing a particular thing or that we should live a certain way but God's word comes to us and says us and by faith we listen and we do so there's a couple of other points here in Galatians that give us clues about what it means to walk by the spirit in chapter 6 which is on the same page there in front of you it says in verse 16 peace and mercy to all who follow this rule now where it says there all who follow this rule That's the same verb as verse 25 of chapter 5. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Right? So you have there, you could, we could reword it. Let us keep it, uh, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Peace and mercy, verse chapter 6, verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who keep in step with this rule. And what rule is that that he's just described? Verse 15 of chapter 6, neither circumcision nor circumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Here we have that idea of being born again. What's the principle that he's saying there? He's saying walk by or walk according to, keep in step with this principle, this rule. What's that rule? You've been born again. That means that you've said no to your old life and no to the world. You've died with Christ. You've given up your... um, rule your stake as being the king of your life and you've said yes to Jesus you've said yes I need forgiveness I need to live under your rule so live according to that rule be guided by that principle be guided by another way to say that is to be guided by or keep in step with the gospel in chapter 2 verse 14 uh, Paul has said to about Peter what did he say about him he said I could see that He was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Or another way to put it is, his conduct wasn't in step with the truth of the gospel. What did he need to be doing? He needed to be living or walking or keeping in step with the spirit or with the truth of the gospel. 
That means living according to the Spirit is that constant rehearsal and reminding of here's the gospel truth, I assess my life up against it, and that gospel truth is wonderfully, um, I say complex in a neutral way, to mean multi-componented and rich and multi-dimensional and all-sufficient for all of life. I line my life up against that wonderful broad gospel of future hope and justification and sinfulness of man and glory of God and gift of the Spirit. I, I, I line my life up with those things and I recount that gospel truth and I make my life in step with that gospel truth. Or in chapter 2, verse 20, just a a couple of verses before that, what did he say there? He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So what is it to live or walk according to the Spirit or live by the Spirit? It is to walk by faith. So what does that mean? As I said at the beginning, I think it's a collection of things. I think it's partly subjective. It's partly living by that principle of new creation life, recounting the gospel to ourselves. It's partly lining up our lives with the truth of the gospel and recounting that to ourselves. And then, and then faith, believing that, trusting that, and walking according to that. Doing all of that will be walking according to the Spirit. And if you are doing that, you won't be doing the works of the flesh. Does it require effort? Yes. Does it require using the means that God has provided? Yes. Does that mean soaking in scripture? Yes. Does it mean praying? Yes. Can we reduce it to one of those things? No. Living amongst God's people, using the means that he's provided, repentance, prayer, faith, recounting the gospel, yielding to the unction, the guidance, the prodding of the spirit, walk according to the spirit and you won't do the deeds of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help. You are the king over our lives. You are our Lord and our saviour. We love you. We thank you so much that we are here gathered with the most wonderful truth. We have the treasure of yourself, of your salvation, of your kingdom. It's just so good. And we pray, Lord, that as you send us out into the world this week and today, that spirit living would be the mark of this community. Amen.